Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com/upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. You're listening to the Game Football podcast from The Times. Today, Southampton abood off after their 1-0 defeat by Nottingham Forest at home. What did their fans expect Nathan Jones to deliver in his opening four Premier League matches? We'll talk about Leeds match with West Ham United at Ellen Road which ended all square. Who was it a better point for and which manager is under most pressure? There is certainly pressure at Goodison Park for Frank Lampard after their 4-1 defeat at home to Brighton. We'll ask what his prospects are for staying as manager and we'll also review two games in London as Palace are heavily beaten by Spurs and Arsenal are held by Newcastle. This is the game. Hello and welcome back to the Game Podcast. I am Hugh Wizencroft alongside Molly Hudson, Gregor Robertson and Tom Clark looking back at what's been a busy week of New Year's games if you like in the Premier League. We're going to start towards the bottom. I think there's a general relegation induced theme to the podcast today with Southampton who were booed off after a 1-0 home defeat to Nottingham Forest. The win means Forest are up to 15th. Southampton stay bottom but they were as I say, booed off by their fans who were calling for the manager to be sacked after they didn't have a single shot on target, despite it being just a fourth Premier League match in charge for Nathan Jones. James Ward-Prowse, uh, their captain, asked the fans to bear with the team. He said it would take a little bit of time for things to improve, and I tend to agree with him. I think this was a bit of an overreaction from the fans. Sometimes things do get worse before they get better. Not always... But sometimes, new manager in a new division, guess that gives the impression to the fans that maybe he's out of his depth. But actually, new methods might take just a little while for these players to get going. What are your your thoughts, Gregor, particularly as you've seen much of Nathan Jones in the EFL? Yeah, I mean, my, my instinct as well is that, you know, four games is not a fair period of time to judge a new manager. But I also understand the Southampton fans extreme frustration at the performance last night because as you say failing to muster a shot on target in a game that was kind of basically a six a six pointer we're early in the season to call it a six pointer but there was two points between them before this game and now they look you know rooted to the table and Forrest have climbed up to 15th it's a big game he, you know he's, he's also it's also completely fair that Jones is kind of bemoaning the the nature of the goals they're conceding which are embarrassing at times and and last night's was no different uh Leanco gifted possession uh, to Forrest basically around the halfway line allowing Brennan Johnson just to, to gallop forward and and, uh, and lay on Awanye for the for the decisive goal. And then from that that gives up that you know he was right I write again to say that that gives Forrest the opportunity to sit in and soak up some pressure and play on the counter. But still they, they had to offer more and there were periods in the games where they were sending aimless balls into the box, often highly inaccurate balls just into Dean Henderson's hands. The fans were getting more and more frustrated and at the end it was toxic. They were screaming, you don't know what you're doing. He he kind of defiantly marched onto the middle of the turf as we've seen so often from uh, from Jones 
you know, when he was when things were were tough at Stoke, he was still out in the middle of the pitch, clapping all the all you know all four stands, whatever reaction was coming his way. Uh, or if they won, he would be you know beating his chest and roaring. And I'm sure when Southampton finally do get a win, they will they will see that from Jones. But it wasn't good, and he's had some time with them as well over the World Cup period to 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 work on the training ground, and they don't really look like they are playing in a kind of coherent, balanced way, and they look they look a bit overawed by the by the task before them. And that's that's understandable when they're the youngest team in the Premier League as well. I feel I feel for Jones a little bit, Gregor, because some of the things you've alluded to there, he, he's got such a massive task on his hands because he's not just got the fans who have you know not taken against him, but they're aware of the wider significance of this. They're in a relegation scrap, and they've made some dubious decisions, haven't they, in terms of the transfer market? Yes, they brought in some young talent, but they've also it's not the most experienced squad. And and they look a little bit lost on the pitch. So I feel for him in that sense. But I did find his comments after the game a bit strange. You know, I was reading your reports and, uh, I, you know, are you surprised by this? Not really. It doesn't concern me. It surprises me. But that's their prerogative. Like that for a manager who's been given a huge opportunity as well, let's be honest, to, to step up to the Premier League, to a big club. You know, manage, modern management is so much about your own PR, isn't it? And one of the huge tasks for someone like Jones in his position is surely get the fans on side. You know, be humble. Be like, we need you. We need everyone to be with us at St. Mary's. We need everyone to be behind us. Like, I'm sure we'll come on to talk about them. But one of the good things Frank Lampard did last season in keeping Everton up was he got all the fans on side. And everyone talked about 12th man at Goodison, et cetera, et cetera. To put that kind of divide between you and the fans, to be like, oh, well, they can think what they want. I've always had it tough, blah, blah, blah. It's a weird tone to strike to me at this point in his career. Like, fine, even if you think, bloody tossers don't know what they're talking about, you know, not my fault. Even if you think that, don't do that in the press. Do the do the grovel, do the humble grovel. You know, I'm so excited by this opportunity, huge club. We need everyone behind us. You know the game. I, I don't know. I, I just found his comments quite strange in the position that he's in. It's adding, you know, you use the phrase toxic and he's adding to that, isn't he? Like, I, I thought it was a bit weird. What, was, it, was he prickly in, in that sense? Uh, he, he always is. He always has been, though. I mean, <laughs> it was a little bit jarring when he said that because it was the second question he'd been asked about the reaction and he was asked, the question was, are you concerned as well? And he mm. said, you know, no, not really. And like, you know, clearly you've got to be concerned when after four games your own fans are shouting you don't know what you're doing. And yeah, it was a kind of it was a strange tone to strike. But it wasn't, you know, it wasn't it wasn't like belligerent. It was I think he's just always someone who feels that when he's backed into a corner he's gonna fight for himself. And he, you know, some of his comments after that, like saying he was asked, Is this the biggest challenge in your career? And he's like, Look, I'm from a Welsh mining community. Everything I've everything I've uh, you know, everything I've I've done in my career has been a challenge. You know, whether it be in playing and becoming a coach and getting getting jobs coming through at Brighton, Luton, going back he went through his whole <laughs> every job he did he'd uh, inherited and where the club was, what position they were in. And he said this is this isn't much different. But it's it is different because it's it's the Premier League and he's 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 also he also alluded to it that there's there's a perception. There seems to be a perception that he's maybe fortunate to be given this this opportunity. That's all. That's also going to kind of count against him in terms of being given time by his own support. I know we mentioned that there's there's only been four games, but I've just had a look at the 
the fixtures that are coming up and it's that sort of weird period where whatever else happened with Southampton, they're still in both cup competitions. They're still in the FA Cup. They're still in the EFL Cup. And it gives them a bit of a break until their next league fixture. But then their next league fixture is Everton. So suddenly, if you don't win one of those games, you're out of both cup comps and you've lost another sort of relegation six-pointer. And suddenly you're seven games in and you're thinking, you've got to do something now. Do you know what I mean? Like he, he's only four games in, but you look at the next three games coming up and you think, what? How, how does he go on if he doesn't get something out of them? And that sounds really ridiculous. I know it does saying, well, he's had seven games. That's not fair. But it's the Premier League. Like we've seen weirder things happen, haven't we? And I think, you know, especially if I'm, I'm, I'm doing that game, Palace Southampton on Saturday. I think that's a massive one because I think realistically you look at Man City in the, the Carabao, that's pretty much a free hit, isn't it? I don't think anyone's expecting him to get anything out of that. So, yeah, I, I, you worry for him on the basis of how just how the fixtures are falling. I think the ones that he's had so far were like reasonably winnable. And I think then to go into this next period and that big Everton game, if you don't get anything by the 14th of January, which again is ridiculous because it's like a week away or whatever. But yeah, you worry for him slightly. I think I would say... There is a little bit of me feeling like lots of things are coming home to roost here. It's not all on Nathan Jones. I think it is. That's why I think it's very unfair to expect the manager who, by the way, Ralph Hasenhutl, we all think is a pretty good coach. They were a pretty bad team with him and that's why he lost his job, obviously. But when you look at the recruitment, you think it's so boom or bust, to be perfectly honest. All of these young players who I'm sure will have great futures... At this point in time, in this season, it's a hospital pass for any coach at this level of football. This is meant to be the toughest league in the world. We all think Bazunu's going to have a bright future. He was playing in League One. He's 20 years old. He's your number one goalkeeper. Sekumara, 19. He's come from League 2 in France. Romeo Lavia. I spoke to a Belgian journalist out of the World Cup. Thinks he's going to be their next great player. He's come from Manchester City. He's under 21s. He was 18 years old. Bella Kotchap, 20 years old. Adozi, another Man City under 21, 19 years old. I mean, Juan Larios, another Man City under 21, 18 years old. I mean, a lot of these players are not coming in to have a huge effect on, on your team. Okay, there was a bit of experience. 25-year-olds, Coletta Saar from Marseille, Aribo from Rangers. You know, but generally speaking, Maitland-Niles came in on a loan. Nothing special. With respect, it's boom or bust. If these young players are the next best thing and you've brought them all to your football club, then wow, incredible. They're all going to get sold in two or three years. You're going to make huge, huge profits. If they're not, you're getting relegated. That's the reality of it. We said this at the start of the season, didn't we? My point on the back of it was not just to slam their summer transfer, but to say, basically, in January, they need to go out and bring in, even if it's six-month loan deals, experienced players at this level with quality. They're going to have to use their relative you know, stability financially as a football club to bring in three, four, five probably players who can play in that first team, who've got experience, a little bit of nous to help get them through this. That's ultimately, if they they don't, they're going down. Sorry, go on, Gregor. No, look, I think you're absolutely right, but I'm not sure any of us would have much confidence that they're going to do that, particularly if you've just gone out and hired Nathan Jones. Like, (laughs) there's a kind of overarching vision about how they want to run the football club. And that is not necessarily aligned with 
Premier League survival this year. That's the truth of the matter. And I think Southampton, Southampton fans realise that and they're angry about it because they want they want to see them maintain their Premier League status and they feel that the decisions that are being made uh, are, are not going, going a long way to helping them doing that. So do you think they'd stick with it with Nathan Jones if they went down? Do you think he'd get that much time? Yeah, I mean, look, I, I'd actually be more worried about him seeing out the rest of the season given how, how bad it's going. I'm not, I'm not, like, that sounds bizarre and you know, crazy to say, but we've seen we've seen we've seen crazier things happen. I don't know if you can keep losing games and the stadium, the atmosphere turns kind of more and more toxic. How how it could be sustainable? Look, we're only four in. I really hope he gets gets a result soon and and uh, they at least make a fight of it. But that's the immediate concern. And then you know, if they do go down, of course they should stick with him, and I think they would. I think because he's someone who's who's proved a, a canny operator at championship level. So. But look, that's that's for another day. The the problem is in the here and now and, and getting their first points on the board under Nathan Jones. I personally think he has to show something during this season in the Premier League that makes you think they're going to be a very good side in the Championship or he won't be there next season. That's, of course, the big if, if they get relegated. Who knows? Things might turn around. But um, yeah, I, I think if they, a bit like Dean Smith at Norwich, okay, although Dean Smith kept his job, he probably shouldn't have given... He got nothing out of the out the Norwich City side in the in the Premier League last season. Like all I'm saying is, I think Nathan Jones does need to get a little bit of a tune out of this side, even if the worst happens at the end of the season to be the manager next year in the Championship again. Southampton fans, we are not relegating you. We're not saying you're definitely going down. Very much a hypothetical situation. But anyway, um, that Southampton wrapped up very quickly. Tom Clark. Steve Cooper, Nottingham Forest, one defeat in seven in all competitions. This is another reason I thought the reaction was slightly overblown. I saw a lot of, we didn't get a shot on target against the worst defence in the league. Well, that's that's the old Nottingham Forest before these players bedded in. Clearly, they're not as bad as they were at the start of the year conceding fours and fives. Okay, to be honest, I would have hoped to have a shot on target as well if I was a Southampton fan. But generally speaking, they're in good form. That's what I mean. I think they were. it was slightly um, unfair to Nottingham Forest to almost cast them as this embarrassing football team when they're not really. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the thing to say is they looked quite solid uh, very early on. Um, I remember that, get, that home game against West Ham. They won 1-0. They looked solid in that game. And I think a lot of people got slightly uh, carried away and it's to Cooper's credit that he's brought it back around. People got carried away with the idea that this huge squad of multi-talented players from various different parts of the world would not be able to gel. And But he's managed to find the right blend of those players, the kind of, the, the you know, your experienced players who he brought in and then the more, more exciting players. I, for one, am obviously delighted that Brennan Johnson's still getting plenty of minutes. And look, not conceding goals is a massive, massive part of uh, staying in the Premier League. And he looks to have found the right mix of those players to do that. So I'd say that's hugely encouraging. What will be interesting now is whether we've read reports recently of more players coming in, more spending in January. So whether that happens and we have to go through the whole cycle again of a couple of weeks of uncertainty, I don't know. Um, I don't know whether... Forest fans would look at their squad and think we need more players because I actually think it looks like they've got a decent blend of talent, experience, grit, flair, all those kind of uh, tropes that you trot out that you need in the Premier League. I would say they've got enough to have a good go at staying in the Premier League, I would say. 
but whether the ambitions are far greater than that. Um, and as Gregor constantly refers to their ownership model and style and, and desires, I'm not sure. So we'll see. It could all it could all change. But Cooper deserves huge credit for kind of settling all that down and making making them pretty solid and hard to beat. It was funny last night. He, he was you know he's asked questions about the game and then someone said. Steve, the January transfer window's open, and he just went, "Oh!" I just like slammed his head down on the desk in front of him, and like, "Oh, I can't, I, I don't want to think about that." You know, stop asking me about this, please, because he knows what's coming. It's been the, it's been the whole narrative for you know their whole time in the in the Premier League. But it's a fair point. Like they've already said, one player, uh, Scarpa, who uh, Brazilian midfielder who came off the bench uh, last night, and whether he wants only a couple of players or not, I, I, I think unfortunately there's there's uh, other people working in the background to who have a bigger say than him over that. So you don't want the, the, the apple cart to be upset. The other thing is I asked him about, because I've made this point, I said, ever since the they changed shape, it's, you know, it's been transformative. And I asked him about that and he said, it, it, was, it was quite funny his response. He's like, well, I, I take your, I take your, I thank you for your question. You know, I, we don't often get tactical questions. So thanks for that. And I was like, <laughs> that, was his, that was his first response. And then he said, um, but I'd actually just say it's more about the kind of the attitude and desire of the players and and the way that they they're working for, working hard for each other and so he's kind of more we we all look at that that was a big turning point for them they're conceding far fewer goal, goals since since the the four 0 defeat against Leicester but he's he's I think he is he feels it's more about the fact that they they know each other now and they're a, they're a team and it, it looked like that very much in the pitch they were really he said they didn't look didn't feel at any point they looked like they were going to concede a goal and I. I would have to echo that they they looked very solid and looked a threat on the break with Johnson. I want you, you know, really powerful and quick on the break as well. And Gibbs White is is growing in stature with every passing week, so it's a good balance to the team. And absolutely, Forest have seemed to have turned a corner. Be interesting to see what happens in January. Now. Well, two other sides met at Ellen Road, who are. Of course, most focused on staying in the Premier League. West Ham United snapping a five-match losing run with a 2-2 draw at Leeds United. It was an entertaining match. I reckon both sides will feel that they could have won it. David Moyes, most importantly, I think, wasn't happy with the way that his side conceded. But as I say, I think it was an encouraging performance for both teams. How encouraging? What do you think? Oh, good question. I would say probably more encouraging for... West Ham in a strange way in that they were the worst team of the two. Um, Leeds looked, particularly in that second half, looked like they knew this was a must win for them home game and that West Ham were there for the taking. So I think for West Ham to get a point was pretty big for them. It was a strange one. You know, you mentioned Moyes not being happy with the defending. I think this is a fascinating season for West Ham. They've got players like Paqueta, Scamacha coming in, which suggests that a change in dynamic, a change in style, if you like, but then you still have players like Kufal, Dawson in defence, players who was such a big part of what Moyes has done at West Ham, but who, you know, for that first goal, they looked a little off it. They looked a little sluggish, a little slow for that first Leeds goal. And I just wonder whether, you know, when you think of those two players, Kufal uh, and Dawson, and then you think of others like Paqueta, whether Moyes is caught in between them, both in terms of style, both in terms of the players who historically he's worked best with. And I just wonder... I've been a huge fan of Moyes. They've been one of my teams on this podcast that I've talked so much about in the last few years. But I wonder whether there's a there's a pinch point now where will he get the time to have this transformational season to to become a David Moyes and West Ham 2.0? 
where it is about the piquettas and the schematches because at the minute it feels a bit muddled and that's why they're going away at Leeds and being happy with a with a point which probably came around from a bit of sloppy play from Leeds Aronson giving the ball away for Scamacha for that great finish and the and the other point I'd like to make with West Ham is Moyes and a lot of West Ham fans have pointed to the injuries they've had a lot particularly this season but when you look at it Zuma and Corne yes big players big recent signings would probably be in and around the team but they're the only ones that are out now they've got a fairly full squad to work with so I would say I don't know whether it was encouraging, but it was a more important point for them, I think, because I think if they'd lost at Leeds, that would have been pretty worrying for Moyes. For Leeds, as I say, I think it was pretty must-win for them, and you could see the way they attacked in the second half. You could see Marsh's reactions on the touchline. They've got Villa, Forest, Everton and Saints, four of their next six Premier League games. So this is their season now in the next kind of six weeks or so, and this game was one of them. And you could kind of tell that Marsh has probably looked at the fixture list and gone, right, it's here. It's this this is the point where we'll work out whether we're going to be scrapping away at the end of the season or whether we'll have pulled ourselves into that 13th, 14th. So in answer to your question, it was probably encouraging for neither of them. And it was a pretty disastrous point. They probably both could have done with winning the game. But I think marginally, West Ham will be the happier of the two. As Tom was speaking there, it kind of reminds me a little bit of, of Liverpool where we're kind of asking them to like go again but I was I was at Liverpool Brentford on Monday night I mean I'm still in that period of Christmas <laughs> but I have no idea what day it is um but kind of watching them do the same thing that they've done over Klopp's era and now the players maybe aren't quite capable of doing it as they were before and they need new fresh players that have different strengths and you look at kind of players like Harvey Elliott for example that are kind of blending into that team now I think it's a little bit similar at, at West Ham in a sense of that those players that are brought in they're not very noisy signings are they in a way like I, I don't think Paqueta having watched him at the World Cup for Brazil obviously an incredible team but I don't think we've seen anything near that from him at West Ham and I, I always go back to, to Saeed Ben Rama when he, he, he was at West Ham, came to West Ham, a lot of sort of excitement around him. It's never really worked. And you always got the impression that kind of Moyes was a bit annoyed sometimes with the with with that kind of attacking player. Obviously there's a there's a level of percentage counts of the things that they do working or not working. And I think Moyes naturally has always had that sort of safer approach and that's kind of what worked for West Ham for a lot of those players and now the players that they have brought in are sort of lower percentage players that have a higher like ceiling if that makes any sense and with that obviously you're going to have times where it works and times where it doesn't and I think obviously this season it hasn't really worked and it's quite interesting particularly with Leeds when you listen to Jesse Marsh you feel like they've got a project and a plan. And I know not everyone likes Jesse Marsh and he's sort of very energetic, very sort of like has this thing in his mind, but you see where they're going with it and he really believes in it. And I don't know if you were saying about Moyes 2.0, Tom, I don't know if like Moyes believes in a Moyes 2.0 with that club, with that squad at the minute. Do you know what I mean? Um, and I think, I also don't know if the fans believe in that at the moment. So I think it, in terms of having a project and a sort of way of doing it with someone like Klopp at Liverpool, 
your clop at Liverpool. Like you've you've earned so much that you're kind of allowed to be a bit rubbish for a bit. And don't get me wrong, Moyes has done a fantastic job at West Ham. Some of the things they've done, particularly in Europe, but I just don't know if, you know, it's pretty rare to have stored up the amount of good credit that Klopp has at Liverpool for any manager to can kind of compete with. Yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting, Molly, that you make the point about my Moyes 2.0 thing because I I also was thinking about it in in prep and was thinking about comparisons with Leicester maybe and Brendan Rodgers and the fact, you know, the time whether he's had to go through, you know, Leicester and West Ham had similar uh, levels of success in different ways with Moyes and Rodgers. And now they're both, you know, still there needing a second, second gear. But I guess the difference is, as you say, the next iteration of Moyes and West Ham perhaps needs a completely change in style. Whereas Rodgers is just looking for new players, fresh talent, and is widely regarded as a coach that plays quite attractive football and, you know, brings young players through and lets those attacking players that you mentioned have chance to flourish. So that's the challenge for Moyes. But I would say in his defence, when you think about his career, perhaps he's never had the chance to do 2.0. Yes, he was at Everton for a long time, but it was he was at Everton a long time and did the same thing well over and over again, didn't he? You know, he brought all those players, the same kind of players. And this is the first time, you know, then went to Manchester United, pretty disastrous. After that, stuck, you know, middled around. This is the first time he's got back to that kind of Everton stage of um, success and you know respect uh, for his career I, I would just be fascinated to see whether he gets the time and whether maybe we go through a year and this time next season he'll still be there West Ham won't have got relegated but he'll have had a full year with the Paquettas of this world and we will have seen whether because this is his chance he might not get another chance to do the reinvention of David Moyes this is this might be his only chance so i i'd be really excited no, really excited that's <laughs> getting a bit carried away i'd be really interested to see whether he gets the chance to do it yeah look i think for, for me when it comes to west ham united i just there's there's an element with david moyes of we know what to do we just need to do it you know there isn't this feeling that he's going to suddenly you know reinvent the wheel, bring out an eight-sided dice or, you know, he's got something up his sleeve, a dove's going to fly out. You know, there isn't that element to him of, um, you know, of, of just changing the script. And I think it is one of those where he'll stick to it and over time the players will get used to it more. But I do think it is a test for him as a coach because you bring in talents like Paqueta, someone who was highly regarded in, in Scamacca, who scored a brilliant goal. But um, you, you need to get a tune out of them. And um, to be honest, on Ben Rama, I think he's got more out of him of late than he has certainly in the first part of his West Ham United career. I think probably they'll go into January and pick up someone like Ben Brereton-Diaz from Blackburn Rovers. I, I think that's a possibility. Someone that can just inject something, some life into the team over the second part of the season. And I think we all think they'll have enough to stay up in the Premier League. I don't think that's going to be a concern. I just think they've set a high bar particularly top half finishes and the West Ham United fans will want that. And I think if you're going to keep players like Declan Rice, you, you need to show that you're going somewhere as sort of difficult as that will, will probably be for them. So um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm fine with David Moyes at West Ham United, but that's as excited Tom Clark as I'm going to get. Okay. Let's move on. Another team that is very, very threatened by relegation is Everton. And the situation there worsened. They were beaten 4-1 by Brighton at Goodison Park. The home side booed down the tunnel at half-time and at full-time as well. Paul Joyce reports in the Times that Frank Lampard will take charge of Everton's FA Cup tie with Manchester United 
on Friday, but his long-term job prospects remain in the balance. We'll talk about Lampard in a second. Gregor, were Brighton great in this game or were Everton just rubbish? I don't think Brighton had to be great all game. I think they, they had a, a flurry in the second half in which they, they were excellent. But Everton, you're looking at the goals, Everton's defending is just so passive. There was, I think it was the third Solly marches where Brighton player was running across the, the box and, and James Tarkowski was kind of following him across. He seemed to be the only player who was willing to try and close down. Yeah, as you can see Tom, in the, Tom demonstrating what I'm about to say here. And then he slipped at the kind of crucial moment and he was flapping around like a fish on the floor trying to get something in front of a you know, an imminent shot from Solly March. But no, you know, there was people around him doing very little. Like he seemed to be the only player with any commitment to actually putting his body on the line to, to stop Everton considering a goal. You know, it was the same is true of, of, of a number of other goals. Evan Ferguson kind of found too much space in the box far too easily uh, for his goal. Yeah, I, I speak about a lot. I think passive defending is kind of when a club or a, and, a, and a team and a group of players are, are feeling the pressure and they're, you know, low in confidence. Everyone's just making gestures to try and seem like they're doing their job. And that is lethal. You've got no chance when that's the case. No one is really trying to go and win the ball. You know, Everton's defending was just woeful. It was just a, a game where you watch it and you think this is a you know, such a striking contrast between these two clubs in every department, whether it's you know, the way just the way they run overall, the recruitment, their kind of transition, the transition between coaches and managers. Deserby's just coming and and hit the ground running straight away, really. In terms of performances, it took a while to get the results to match them, but they've 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 performed brilliantly from basically from day one. And there's so much to admire about Brighton, and it really is a kind of uh, a bit of a, a reminder of what Everton are doing badly. That's what this game was, I think. If you're an Everton fan, you watch Brighton, you think, why can't we be have even you know half of their intelligence in the way we've we've run our football club since Farad Mashiri bought the club? And spent five hundred million pounds on players so badly. It's de- it's really it must be really chastening for them. I'm delighted Hugh made it a two pronged question as well there because it ensured that we didn't do the whole thing of talk for Everton about five five ten minutes and then do. By the way, Brighton amazing. Oh, yeah. Which yeah. which which is basically a catchphrase on this and every podcast and every <laughs> bit of analysis in the Premier League, isn't it? For the last few years. By the way, Brighton weren't they brilliant? So I'm glad we got that in there. But on Everton, Greg, you talk about passive defending. I thought. You know, another word was the intensity. The Adrissa gave back pass. You look at his body, the shape of his body, the way he hits the ball. It, like, fine, it's a terrible pass, but there's no purpose there. There's no like thought of right, bang this back to the keeper, then get upfield, or just turn. You've got time, turn. It like so lacking in intensity, and it made me think all the conversation around the World Cup and players being tired and the you know the amount of work and travel and stuff. Everton have got a squad pretty unharmed by the World Cup, let's be honest. And so you've got a group of players there that have had a break, probably had a chance to do some mid-season training, maybe warm weather training. Lampard's had the chance to get in amongst the group. And that is the real worry for me, that that intensity is lacking in terms of both the way they play, but also the desire. As you say, when, when it is James Tarkovsky doing the hero dive to try and block a shot, that looks pretty pretty worrying one point I just wanted to make because you alluded to it there Gregor with the um, recruitment and the contrast between Brighton and Everton is when you look at Brighton with Ferguson playing up front and scoring and looking really bright and with Everton you've then got Ellis Sims on the bench 
young forward, had some time in the Football League, was at Blackpool when they got promoted, then then went to Sunderland, was doing really well, had an injury, but has been scoring goals for Sunderland. But in terms of his career development, was on the right path. And then Everton need goals, recall a striker that's probably not ready for the Premier League. He's on the bench. Is he going to be playing a big part in the rest of this season? No. So you've then harmed the development of a player who was yours and could have maybe been good next season and not really benefited yourself in any way. And as you say, Gregor, when you look at Brighton and how they bring players through, give them the opportunities, either loan them out in a very tactical way. I just thought that was such a stark contrast with those two young players um, in forward positions that yeah, it, it, it's just another facet of where Everton are going wrong. Ferguson was you know, really impressive once again. I, I remember I, I saw him against Forest Green Rovers in the, in the Cup at the start of the season. I think he was only 17 at that point and he, he you know it wasn't rocket science but I think I came on and said remember the name because he he's so powerful and so I already just looked so at ease in the men's game at such, for such a young lad and he's he's proved it now in the last two games he's been really impressive I've, I was at I was down at Brighton interviewing Alexis McAllister uh, earlier in the week and and spoke to Deserbi after as well and he, he was kind of you know, when he was asked about Ferguson, he was like nodding his head, saying he's he's some player, he's got a big future, and he's ready to play in the starting eleven now. And he's he's proved it again. He's he's I thought he was outstanding. But we also have to say, I think Matoma is going to be a star. He was another one who played down at, at Forest Green that day. There was three of them. There was th- those two and uh, Inisco who came on yesterday as well. Another young player, I think. I think from Colombia. You know, that's just that's. There's there's another three players who just come from nowhere really, and you know they'll be drip fed into the team, but they're making an impact. And yeah, there's so much to admire about Brighton. Matoma is just a lot of fun, isn't he? I think um, he he kind of drip feed into the team is a is a is a great way of um, describing it because I think. He is that player at the moment that looks better when he comes off the bench. And I think we saw it for Japan quite a lot at the World Cup as well. He's just a box of tricks. He's fun. He gets the fans off their seat. And he looks like he can be um, a really great player. And I suppose, as as you were saying, kind of the difference between the two teams is that it feels like Brighton just have this recruitment. And, you know, of course, it, it, it blends in with the way that they run the club. But they do, it, you know, it's not a coincidence that we're talking about these young players coming into the team, hitting form. It's the right environment for them to to obviously be in the team and feel as though they're part of it. But also Deserby has been, you know, it, it's how many times have we seen it where a manager leaves when it's not disastrous? That's pretty rare in the Premier League, right? Quite often the, the turnover in jobs is is when things have gone wrong and they're having to rebuild. It must have been quite difficult for Deserbi to come in and kind of live up to what Graham Potter had done because he'd obviously done a fantastic job at Brighton. And I think what we've seen is is how well Deserbi has picked up on that. And I think maybe that's gone under the radar a little bit, that actually it's not like he'd come into a club that was struggling and has given them this boost. He was coming to a club that was already doing well and a group of players that were already doing well. And clearly the players in that dressing room have really kind of picked up on on the the philosophy that he's come on with and the way they're playing. And, you know, they're if anything, I think I enjoy watching Brighton more under Deserby than I did under Potter, I think I would say. Yeah, slightly more on the front foot 
you know, there was it seemed to be slightly more patient build-up play with, uh, under Potter. And they still dominate most games in terms of how, how much possession they have, but there just a little, seems to be a little bit more attacking purpose. And I think he's done an outstanding job so far. We shall see if that continues for Brighton and we'll see if Everton's poor form continues as well. One win in 10 Premier League games, Manchester United in the FA Cup, and then the matches with Southampton and West Ham. They look like must-win games for Frank Lampard's future, so we'll keep a close eye. Of course we will on Everton in the coming weeks. Let's head up to the other end of the table, shall we? Spurs are in fifth place, rampant in the second half at Crystal Palace. They ran out 4-0 winners. Maybe a scoreline that slightly flattered them, but they were well worth their victory. Palace were wasteful in front of goal. Harry Kane wasn't. Two goals on the night made it 198 in 300 Premier League games. And a player like him, Molly, will always give you hope. And maybe in the second half of this season, Spurs' hopes will be pinned on him. Yeah, and I think it was the kind of game where, as you say, Palace had had been quite wasteful in that first half. I don't think anybody could have argued too much if Palace had, had gone in at half-time ahead. And I think once Kane sort of scored that first goal, it, it, it is the difference between the team like Spurs, whether or not, they're going to make top four or anything like that. They have those players that are just world-class, which a team like Palace don't quite have, that sort of mid-table team. There's there's a lot of exciting things going on at Palace, and I'll, I'll bang that drum. I did it at the weekend, which hasn't aged too well. I think there's a lot of young players there, players like Michael Elise, Eberichi Eze. They've got really bright futures, but they're... They're kind of, and I actually wrote in that piece that when you have young players like that, they're going to have ups and downs. And I know Patrick Vieira has talked about it and is aware of that as well, I think it's fair to say. Whereas when you have players like Kane, they just show up day in, day out in those big moments. It happens. Somehow he finds the goal. And I think that was the big difference in a way. It, it, it wasn't a 4-0 game. The margins between the, the two teams were not 4-0, but players like Harry Kane make it a 4-0 game because he's just so clinical. And I think that's probably the thing that will keep Spurs quite happy in a way is that they've got Kane, even when the whole Conte show is going on, it's a bit dramatic. Will he stay? Will he not? Whatever. Harry Kane, solid, reliable, will get you goals. I just wanted to say on Palace before we come back to Tottenham, I think Molly makes a really interesting point because I was watching this game and the thing that struck me was it wasn't a 4-0 game, but as a neutral and perhaps as a Palace fan, it was so much more engaging to watch because of the way they played. But because of the way they played and some of the players they have in that team meant they lost 4-0. And I thought if this had been Roy Hodgson's Crystal Palace, they might have lost 1-0 or maybe 2-0. And it would have been a bit tighter and we'd be talking about, oh, it's a close game. But would it have been more as exciting? And would they have 22 points? And would they have Eze and Elise in the same team trying to play intricate passes that sometimes come off and create a chance for Zaha and sometimes they don't? So again, it comes back. We've referenced it with West Ham. We've referenced it with Everton, with Brighton. You know, Palace are another one. What do you want to be? And I think they're in the right place with Vieira and with these young players. And they will occasionally get beat 4-0 at home by a team that's got a Harry Kane in it. And I think that's okay because I think they'll be fine. I think they'll stay up. And I really hope that all those things I've just talked about keep keep coming true because they're, they're, they're a lovely team to watch and there's a lot to like about them as a club as well. The expected goals is 1.39. 
zero point seven nine. You know, everything you're saying is absolutely true. Spurs just had Hurricane. <laughs> I know how many times have we said that. I also I, I liked uh, Tom Allnut's opening line in his in his piece here. It was basically for the first time in eleven games, Spurs scored first, and the rest was pretty easy. <laughs> and it's like, you know, we have to we have to remind ourselves this is the first time in eleven games that Spurs have taken the lead, and how much that dynamic changes what follows. You know, if you're if you keep going behind, it's, it's it, it it plays havoc with your mind and the way you have to approach the game. And sometimes I've seen Spurs go. Well, I think in seven of those games, Spurs went too behind. And they really have to throw everything at it to get to to find a, a point, at least when that when they've got Harry Kane this clinical when they've when they when they take the lead and it wasn't comfortable. Lloris had to make some good saves, but it's just it make, it makes such a difference when when you've got something to hold on to essentially. Um, and Conte looked much much happier after the game. He did, but he's still annoying me. In the build-up to the match, Antonio Conte, if you don't want to be the manager, just leave, to be perfectly honest, because he keeps casting doubt over his future. Okay, he says, my task here is to help the club to build a solid foundation, to create a base, and then try to improve. This is my task here. This is my challenge here. If you ask me, and the challenge for you is to win the Premier League, to win the Champions League, this is not the task here at the moment. Once again, I think, telling the fans, stop complaining. Once again, telling the board, give me more money if that's what you really want. The question I have to ask you is, when will it stop? When will it stop? Listen, if I'm the Tottenham board, offer the guy a new contract, and if he stalls and he stalls and he stalls, you know, people can say he's top tier, you know, he's a brilliant coach. Yeah, okay, he is. But if you can't support him to be a brilliant coach and you as a club can't do it, you need to get a manager that suits you. Like ultimately, that's it. You can't have your manager coming out every single week moaning about either a lack of funds or the fact that this club can't win big trophies and that's what he wants to do. And if it wasn't for Tottenham Hotspur holding me back, well, well okay then, go and manage into Milan. But the, but the thing we talked, well, we talked, I talked uh, early on about um, Nathan Jones and his poor PR. This, at least from a PR point of view, is Conte sticking to brand Conte. Let's be honest, he's, he's nothing if not consistent. Um, so you've got a praising for that, surely, Hugh. But I do. I, I think it's interesting. You know, he's talking about if you want us to win the Champions League, if you want us to win the league. He's not talking about that anymore. What he's actually talking about, but he won't say out loud because it's bad PR. Is do you want us to finish in the top four? Because now he's competing with a more resurgent Manchester United. He's competing with Newcastle. He doesn't know whether Liverpool and Chelsea will come, and he knows he ultimately base level needs to get in the top four again. Otherwise, it's going to look terrible for him. So. He's saying title, he's saying compete at the very top. What he's actually doing is he's looking around him and going, oof, this is going to be tough to finish fourth, uh, let alone third, which is what so many people predicted for us at the start of the season. It's good PR. It's consistent Conte, man. I'm backing him all the way. In all seriousness, though, Spurs are at a big juncture here, I think. I was speaking about this with an editor the other day. You know, you have to throw so much money at Conte. He demands it. You have to throw money and money, money at him to sign players, often experienced players it's not really with one eye on the future it's for the here and now to win and then even if you do win if it brings success he demands more or he leaves and it's like so there's no there's never any any semblance of any sort of looking to the future really it's all about here and now and winning and so Spurs have basically got to decide whether they want whether they're happy to do that or not whether they want to back him and see if he can can take them to that to some silverware which they really 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 want you know after the you know given their considering their history with silverware <laughs> but 
you know, what there is still a question then what would come next? He's not going to stick around. You just have to, you know, and and build something. He would demand more money because he would say that you need it to to keep doing it, to keep doing it year after year, and or else he would walk away. And he might, in fact, he might walk away anyway. Look at Juventus, look at Chelsea, look at Inter Milan. You know, none of them were in a in a great position when he left. So I actually, you know, we we can laugh about it, and it is it is, it is comical because it's kind of all right, Antonio. We've heard this so many times now, mate. Like you know, give it a rest. We know what you're, you know, you're you're kind of your ulterior motives here, but Spurs need to decide. They need to decide what they want to be and whether they want to give him the the money he needs. It felt like when Tottenham hired first Jose Mourinho, then. Antonio Conte, they made a decision that they were moving away from a kind of project manager like Pochettino into a club that was, right, we're sick of this. We haven't won a trophy in however many years. We're going to win, right? And in making that decision sort of accepted in a way that maybe it wouldn't be as pretty or whatever, you wouldn't have, you know, loads of young players. And I think however you feel about Mourinho and Conte, there are some similarities there in a sense. But then then you hear him say, well, we're not going to win a trophy. Well, what's the point then? Go 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 back to a Pochettino or, I mean, maybe that's actually unfair on current Pochettino, but a sort of Pochettino he was before he came to Spurs. Somebody that you gamble on building a, a project with, bringing young players through, bringing an identity through, and then in that sense, we've got a lower chance of a trophy, but more of a sort of progression. At the minute, they're getting the bad side of Mourinho and Conte, which is big egos, big PR, lots of noise without actually winning anything, which let's not forget was the point of hiring them. I get everything you're saying and I've had enough of it. So Antonio Conte, make your mind up, mate. Listen, if I'm on the board of Tottenham Hotspur, I've got to say... You know, this contract needs to be signed pretty soon, doesn't it? You know, you're either going to be staying for the long-term future and, and we can invest in you, your squad and um, your approach over the next four or five years, even if it's a four-year, three-year deal, whatever. You've got some clarity. But at this point in time, um, there isn't enough. There isn't enough clarity. There isn't enough commitment on his part to be saying what he's saying to the club. And I do think there's a, a, a strange power dynamic where this is one of the few clubs, I think, where the manager is basically saying, I'm more important than you. I am more important than the football club. We often say that no player is more important than the club. Well, the manager is essentially saying here, oh, you can only have success with me. It's almost like your club is nothing without me. I don't like it. I just don't like it. So sign the contract, Antonio, put pen to paper, commit your future, you know, and and then we can talk. But at this point in time, you're starting to feel like he's a bit of a want-away coach, if that's a thing. Yeah, I, I just don't like it. Okay, so let's sort the future out. Let's go and spend some money together, get ourselves a lovely Ferrari and drive it off into the sunset. Until that point in time, we just can't be friends. Before we leave the podcast, we've left this game right until the end. This is meant to be the big game of the last few days. We know we've still got a big one coming between uh, City and Chelsea, but um, it was a bit of a drab affair characterised by a card-happy referee and a time-wasting Newcastle United. Yes, their trip to Arsenal 
ended goalless. I think we expected a little bit more than that. Arsenal fans very unhappy with the ball only being in play for 51 minutes and 23 seconds, according to Opta, which is the 34th lowest of all Premier League games this season. Also, the Arsenal boss, Mikel Arteta, felt his team really should have had at least one penalty. He thought there was a pull on Gabriel. Yes, maybe. The handball shout late on. Not for me, Clive. I don't know what we, we found out about both of these two sides. I think we've maybe found out that Newcastle have do have the potential to really put the cat amongst the pigeons, even when they don't play particularly well. There is a bit of nous in that squad, it seems. It was also a difficult night for Arsenal, granted, a, a, you know, up against pretty much the best defence in the league. You know, when it doesn't click perfectly for them, um, we didn't see a side that, that, that had a, a plan B fighting their way to victory, if you like. Now, maybe, you know, the big caveat here is maybe they could have got a bit of help from the referee. All in all, I thought it was a, a fair point, even though the fairness comes from one side's endeavour to score and the other side's quality, if you like, in, in resisting that. But, um, but Gregor, what did you make of the game at the Emirates? Yeah, I think I think you've summed it up pretty well. I think that Newcastle demonstrated their, their uh, resilience and their, how well coached they are as well. I mean, very few wingers in the in the Premier League you see putting in a defensive shift as well as Joe Ellington and Almiron. You know, doubling up, helping out Dan Byrne and Trippier, the full backs. You know, you thought Dan Byrne was going to have a tough night when Saka skipped past them in the first five minutes, but they kind of largely nullified them. And, you know, you mentioned about how much, you know, the ball was in play. I recommend Martin Hardy's piece about that. There, this is, that's, which uh, is in the Times just now, that's, that's commonplace this season in their away games, I think. Basically, that's their average, which is the second lowest of any team in the Premier League. And he he linked that to a time that some time that Howe spent with Diego Simeone, the Atletico Madrid manager, during his his, uh, his time out of work. So he's obviously learned some of the dark arts. You know, he saw Jamal Lascelles being booked for the second time this season as a substitute for blocking a throw-in <laughs> towards the end. This is a new Eddie Howe, and I'm here for it. And from Arsenal's point of view, I think I said on Thursday, it's the step down from their from their starting their best. 12 or 13 players is is big. They've made the fewest changes of any team in the Premier League. And I think we saw we can see why. And we saw that they didn't really have any any op, any options that you you know you you thought we've got this to change the game. Or, you know, someone else of kind of a similar similar standard who can come in and and, uh, and make a difference. So that's what Arsenal need to change, I think, probably in, in January. And I also thought that Arteta, some of Arteta's antics on the touchline were, were pretty embarrassing, particularly for the handball, because it, it was a, a marginal handball, and he's running screaming at the at the fourth official. Go on, Tom. You, I can see you want to speak about this. Leave it out, will you? Honestly. <laughs> I, I knew, I knew. I was thinking, this is nice, you know, quite considered tactical analysis, bit of praise for Newcastle, bit of analysis of the squad depth at Arsenal. I was thinking, no one's pinged old Mikel yet, and then here he comes from long range on his long run, grumpy Scott. Honestly, I'm just not having it. He's done absolutely nothing wrong. For years, we've like seen, enjoyed, loved Jurgen Klopp. Jurgen Klopp has literally made his name at Liverpool for running up. He ran on the pitch at one point. And, yeah, like, but you've got, there's got to be some Alice. justification for the thing that you claim just, of. Of course, there's a justification. He's literally top of the league with a squad that people were like, oh, he'll do well if he gets fourth. He's top of the league. He's got a genuine shot That's at winning the title. That's nothing to do with the handball. Yeah, it is because the handball is a difference between three points and one point. Against the team, by the way, he was third. It was ridiculous. I, you've got a genuine claim there for that being a handball. I don't think it was, 
But if you're the manager of the team going for the title at home, you're perfectly within your rights to go a bit mental. Like I, I just don't get it. He's also, in his defence, he's had to work through the years of booze, defeats, players storming off, the Obama Yangs. He's got Xhaka walking off at the Emirates to booze. Now he's got this team on side. He's got Arsenal fans, man. Arsenal fans on side. How's he done that? Arsenal fans are never on side with anyone. They didn't even like Wenger at the end. He's got them on side. Like, fine, let him let him whip them up into a frenzy. That's what it's all about. Like, let him do it. He and Arsenal have got a genuine shot at winning this league. Let them lose the plot a bit. Let them lose the plot. I don't care. Like, like yeah, I I've think got, leave him. I've leave no him be. With him. I've no problem with him. I absolutely agree. He's been outstanding, and I have no problem with him. Uh, kind of whipping the crowd up. But all I'm saying is. To go that to that extent, to be you know in the face of the fourth official, to be riling Eddie Howe, to be like getting into just about you know having to be pulled apart over that was a no, nonsense. To do it with no. a penalty claim, no problem. That was a penalty. Ah, but it's all it was you, a very know, good you, call you know. It's all part. It's all part of the set. You can't in that moment in a six-yard area. Sorry, in a technical area, go. Mm, no, that perhaps only justifies a little angry fist. Okay, bump, make a know? claim, it, but then get it's it the up same. And watch the game. It's the same. It's the same, mate. Come on, like I, yeah. I went to watch Lincoln cling on for a point at Ipswich <laughs> and treated the last five minutes like it was the end of the world. Yeah, you know, this is modern football. This is what we've created. It's, it's, it's mad. It's stupid. It makes absolutely no sense. And I will not have people have a go at Mikel Arteta. Crack on, Mikel. They're just jealous, mate. They're just jealous. Makes me sick. Personally, <laughs> you yeah, wish just because you've got boring Eric Jose, Ten Hag. If, it, if it's Jose, pistol. we're slamming him. No, nope. already got banned for it. I, I, I say it time and time again. You know, you get people copying this at Sunday League. You get people copying this. No, I don't think it was in that. kids football. It, it you do, you that. do, you do, you do. I agree. You, you do get man. people copy, copying it. I don't think you're an old man. Um, you're very young. Um, but I don't. I, I don't think this was that level. I agree. I agree. There's an extent of where if people are going aggressive i don't think this was i think this was someone just losing the plot in the moment and looking a bit stupid and he knows he'll look stupid but i don't mind it i don't think this was of the level that you're talking about Hugh. i agree what you're referring to the first is time. a problem this ain't the first time we've been talking about Mikel arteta's behavior when it comes to officials yeah he learned it all from pep whatever you know jürgen klopp does it you know, I even spoke about the fact that um, Graham Potter isn't that on the touchline and maybe he should be. We spoke about Gareth Southgate being quite muted during the World Cup as well. Alex but, um, Ferguson did it all career. Yeah, yeah. But, um, he did quite well off the back of it as well. Yeah. You, you got it. You got to Listen, I don't mind the claims, but that made out that there was a huge error on the part of the officials. It's like, come on, it was a... It was a, he does a it for every tackle the, the elbow too. of a player, come on. It, he does it for every tackle too, and that pisses me off. You're like, <laughs> you know, any challenge that's like, you know, in any way near close to full-blooded, and he's, he's, you know, he's always doing that. He's throwing, I know this doesn't come over on a podcast well, but he's always throwing his arms at the, like, throwing his arms at the officials. And look, I'm, I'm all for passion. I'm, we're maybe going a bit too much into this, but I, I just think you could choose your times to do it. And I don't, I think he's, it's just, he's ridiculously one-eyed. He's still, he's still learning though. He's still learning. And I, I, that's why I'll defend him as well. He's still learning. He's still very young. And this is the first, and I do think there's a part of what I said where he's had to go through that difficult period and he's now finally got everyone within the club pushing in his direction. And if part of that is, you know, looking like, oh my God, we're going to win the title, you know, creating that kind of culture of, oh, the decisions went against us comes back to it again it's a bit of pr 
It's fine. I can see Molly smiling away. I know she's on my side, aren't you, Molly? I'm, I'm just laughing at you being very pro-Moise, pro-Arteta, just very pro-managers today, aren't you? Listen, I just stick I just stick by my voice. That's I've said it for the last few seasons. I'm going to stick with them. Final point on this, Molly, for you. Who Who is it a better point for, a, a bigger point for, Arsenal or Newcastle, do you think? Not just on the balance of what we saw during the game, but just the context of the season. I think probably Newcastle, but w- what I would say is I think if you look at both Arsenal and Newcastle seasons, they're both doing slightly better than... Not not that we didn't believe in Newcastle's project or that we didn't believe in Arteta's project at Arsenal because we both know that they're heading in that upward trajectory. But I think both have maybe exceeded expectations in terms of quite how quickly they've done it. You know, we mentioned Arteta maybe aiming for top four this season, maybe next season or the one after is the real title challenge. For Newcastle, maybe it's sort of Europa League this season, not Champions League. And now suddenly they're in like genuine top four contention. And I think maybe this is what you saw in this game, this nil-nil, was that both of them are, for everything amazing that they've done this season, they're just missing that little bit that would make them... So in, in Newcastle's sense, I think they're still having to dig in and defend against a team like Arsenal. Whereas when they're more rounded in their project, they'll be able to go toe to toe. And I, you know, fully back Eddie Howe in in what he did in that game because it worked fantastically. But in two years time, they'll expect more. They'll want to go toe to toe with Arsenal and, you know, attack them and, you know, completely. Arsenal, I think, as Gregor said, are just missing that bit of squad depth. Again, because they've sort of, almost skipped a phase in their sort of development because of how well they've done this season. Now they're having to catch up. They're having to catch up in the transfer market. So I think both teams have flaws that they've covered up really well this season. And I think maybe in this game, this nil-nil, you saw those flaws and that's why neither of them were quite good enough to get the win. Okay, Molly, thank you very much for that well-rounded assessment of what's to come for Arsenal and Newcastle. Gregor Robertson and Tom Clark. And Molly Hudson, thank you very much for your company. Thank you all for listening as well. Uh, FA Cup third round weekend. Uh, one of the best in the domestic calendar is ahead of us. We'll react to that on Monday. Loads of great fixtures uh, for us to sink our teeth into. By the way, loads of interesting previews ahead of that weekend and all of the reaction. Make sure you download the Times app. Pick up a newspaper as always, of course. That old school thing that you can still do. Um, but also you can subscribe to the game online at thetimes.co.uk forward slash the game. We'll see you on Monday. Have a great weekend.